episode of The Mentors. Today we're going to talk about uh, something that I think every one of us has struggled at one point in time, uh, which is how to think of good business ideas. By the way, this problem doesn't stop uh, when you become successful. Um, We know plenty of founders that have already found success in one way or another, and now they're thinking of their next thing, their next challenge. It's just as hard as before. But there, there are some frameworks, there are some concepts, uh, or at least ways of thinking about approaching ideation that can help you get off the ground. So first we want to start off by talking about how to get good at the process of uh, thinking of ideas, how to get good at identifying opportunities and identifying potential ideas. And then later we can get into a framework of actually how to think of ideas, even if you're not necessarily naturally good at the process. So first of all, pretty much no idea is good or bad. Ideas are a dime a dozen. If you're approaching entrepreneurship from the perspective of, hey, I have an awesome idea, I'm going to be successful, you're, you're in for some disappointment, most well, likely. Yeah, and I mean, um, the fact of the matter is that most of the time, uh, the, the first idea that you have for a business, it's going to be a bit different, uh, even, even in a short period of time, but over a longer period of time, the business that you end up working on is going to be usually fairly significantly different than what you thought of in the beginning. So it's not too important uh, what idea you start with, but we want to, of course, give you some tools so that you can think of ideas yourself. Yeah, I mean, think about every successful business. Um, If you go back to their uh, origin story, like Airbnb, for example, they started um, with a similar concept, but they basically started with cities where uh, there were conferences, or I think the, the Democratic National Convention was the first event, or the Republican National Convention uh, was the first event, and they had a very different go-to-market strategy early on, and even value proposition, which was manually posting listings on Craigslist, and then they did down the line. Same thing with Twitter, right? Same thing with Facebook, even. Uh, Uber. All of these concepts started a little bit differently, and then as they matured, as the uh, founder iterated, based on customer feedback, the idea evolved, became better. Sometimes ideas changed completely, sometimes not so much, but they will change. So to give you an example of how to get good at identifying opportunities, we actually want to tell you a story that doesn't have too much to do with entrepreneurship, but has a lot to do with creativity. And it takes me back to a story that I've heard Louis C.K. tell. I'm not even really sure where I heard it, but I thought it was a really cool story. He himself, he's been a comedian since he was 17 years old, didn't go to college, uh, had some small successes early on in his career in his 20s where he appeared on, um, on a bunch of talk shows, famous talk shows like David Letterman. And he was starting to tour the country, but he hit a plateau. Uh, he wasn't really a recognized comic like he wanted to be, and he didn't have cool opportunities coming his way. And when he was in his early 30s, he uh, I think he was in Somerville, Massachusetts. He had just gotten out at, at 2 in the morning from a late-night comedy set uh, where he got heckled. He just generally was feeling down, and he uh, went back to his car, turned on the radio, happened to stumble upon... Uh, a radio show that was interviewing George Carlin, which was an idol of his at the time. And it was a workshop on comedy, essentially, where they were talking about comedy seriously. And apparently this is the first time that Louis had heard anyone talk about comedy in a very serious way. And through listening to this uh, radio show, he found out that George Carlin would put out 
a one hour long special every single year. So what he would do is he would force himself to essentially scrap all the material that he wrote the year before and come up with completely new content, an hour long of comedy every single year. And here was Louis. He realized he had pretty much the same, I think it was half hour, 45 minutes set that he used for the last 15 years of his career. And it got him places, but he he wasn't really coming up with new material. And he realized right then that the reason why he hit a plateau is because he kept on just reusing and recycling old material. So he wanted to emulate his hero, right? And by the way, that's, you know, the first, when he first heard it, it seemed, I'm pretty sure, fairly overwhelming. An hour of material every single year. Here he was, like Sergey said, working on the same thing. I mean, if if you ever tried to write down any comedy, uh, you know how long it takes to put together even five minutes of jokes where people are laughing constantly, let alone an hour. And George Carlin was suggesting that the best thing to do was to actually always stay fresh and come up with a brand new hour-long set every single year. That seemed pretty overwhelming. It certainly wasn't going to be easy. So Louis now had this renewed goal, how he was going to save his comedy career. He was just going to start writing. It doesn't matter if the jokes were good or if the jokes were bad. He would write every single day to come up with new material. And so he started doing this deliberately, right? Just sitting down, finding time every single day to write jokes. And what ended up happening, almost it felt, I think it started feeling automatic, is that by the process of forcing himself to write down jokes every single day, even if they weren't great jokes, he ended up identifying and finding funny situations pretty much everywhere he went. He could be in a car garage uh, and read a license plate and think something funny just from that idea alone. So the, so the, the premise is, if you force yourself to write down ideas like he wrote down ideas for jokes, in your everyday life, you will naturally become better at spotting opportunities for ideas to develop further, or in his case, for jokes to come out of essentially, uh, seemingly out of thin air. Key thing that Sergey mentioned there, by the way, is forcing yourself. In the beginning, it will seem very um, unnatural to sit down and try to think of ideas, right? Especially artists and creators, a lot of times they think, oh, I need to feel motivated or inspired uh, to create, right? An idea just has to enter my mind. Well, quite the opposite is true. If you actually read about other creators, there's a really good book out there um, called Daily Rituals. And basically it's a few pages each of little mini biographies of artists and creators, painters, writers, and for most of them, the theme that you'll notice, and this isn't really a spoiler, but, you know, maybe it is. Uh, uh, but basically, the theme that you'll notice is everybody has to put in deliberate work in order to have that quote-unquote inspiration. Writers force themselves to write every day. Painters force themselves to paint every day. And same idea with Lucy Kerr. You know, once he started forcing himself to think of joke ideas, they started coming naturally to him. And it's kind of like when you get a new car, right? It seems really new and original, and all of a sudden you start noticing that car everywhere on the highway. Other people are driving it, uh, just because it's now in your head, and obviously you're going to see it. Same with joke ideas, if you're, or, or anything for that matter, like business ideas. If you're constantly thinking about it, then your brain will be rewired, and you will um, automatically start associating things with new ideas, with new opportunities, or in Louis C.K.'s um, case, new jokes. Which he took a little too far, I think. He took a, a um, little bit too far. I wonder where the idea of asking people to masturbate in front of them came from for Louis. That that yeah. one must have taken a long time to think of. He must have practiced that too. Yeah, that didn't that 
that's the kind of deliberate practice you don't want to. Uh, you know, yeah, so it's not always applicable. And uh, Louis is a great comedian, but um, the strength of character there hasn't proven necessarily to to hold true. But the story still relevant. The story is relevant. That's take why the good. To take the good with the yeah, bad. Take the good from Louis and George um, Carlin. But there's uh, another entrepreneur that some of you guys, um, if you're listeners of different podcasts, might know of James Altucher. Check out the James Altucher show, and he has a really cool way of looking at ideation uh, that we want to share with you. And it's actually basically along the same vein as George Carlin um, and Louis C.K. communicated, which is um, essentially exercising what he calls your idea muscle. In other words, when you go to the gym and you lift weights, if any of you have ever done that, or when you even do cardio, right? The more you do something, the more your body becomes accustomed to that type of motion and the better you become at it. So when you lift weights, um, you know, the more you do it, the more, the higher weight uh, you can lift. When you run, the more you do it, your your breathing becomes better, your rhythm becomes better, and you can run longer distances. Same idea with the idea muscle. <laughs> um, the more you think of ideas deliberately, the more likely you are to start thinking a little bit more creatively. And more specifically, what James Altucher suggests is that every single day, you should sit down and write down at least 10 ideas. Ideas about anything, by the way, right? I mean, it could be about business. It could be about um, 10 blog articles you'll write. It could be about 10 healthy cooking recipes uh, that you need to put together. And why, Sergey, is the number 10 so important in this scenario? Well, so I think what uh, James identified is that, and I think if anybody at home wants to try this today, whip out a pen right now and see if you can come up with 10 uh, ideas for podcasts you could record, right, on topics that you uh, know a fair amount about, 10 ideas for podcasts that you could do uh, within the next five minutes. And what will happen, I bet, for most of you is that after the fifth or sixth idea, the first five or six are pretty quick, after the fifth or sixth one, it becomes much harder, right? Just like after the fifth or sixth rep at the gym of lifting a weight, it becomes much harder, but that's where you build a muscle. So coming up with the le- the rest of the four ideas is where you end up developing that muscle. And that's why that's why 10 is the number that James uses, is that by the by the sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, tenth, it's a lot harder, and that's where you have an opportunity to actually grow. By the way, for those of you guys and girls that are thinking about knowledge-based businesses, entrepreneur Gary Vaynerchuk of Vayner Media, he's also Belarusian, by the way. Belarusian so boy. Homeboy. Hey, Gary, if you're listening, um, I don't know. Hi. Just, uh, <laughs> yeah. Just, you know, I you're emailed not, you're you not listening. I emailed you once a long time ago, and you responded, and I appreciate that. Thanks, he's a very Gary. responsible guy. But he took it one step further, and he said, if you want to start a content business or a knowledge-based business where it in other words, you're sharing your knowledge with the world, uh, then you have to take it a step further. Uh, you have to come up with, let's say, 50 pieces of content that you can put together or 50 classes that you can write around one specific topic and no less. So if you come up with just five, that's not going to be enough to keep you going because guess what? After about a month, you'll run out of stuff to talk about. So he took it even one step further, but the um, concept and the idea is still the same. You have to train yourself to do it consistently. It's like anything else. The more you do it, the better you become. So if you've been sitting there thinking for years that you want to leave your job, you want to start your own business, but you don't know what to do, start writing down ideas. Another funny thing that James Altucher talks about is this idea of idea sex, if you recall. So let's say if you write a list every day and the first day you talk about, you make a list of podcasts, the second day you make a list of 
of books you would write, and the third day you make a list of businesses that you would start. Something happens in your brain when you think of all of these different ideas where the the various ideas, even from the different lists that you've made, start to sort of... Uh, have sex (laughs) and procreate and give birth to completely new ideas. And if you think about some of the best businesses out there, they have just been uh, iterations or combinations of two completely disparate ideas uh, and applications to turn it into a completely new type of business. Uh, So that's, I think that's another vote for why you should just get in the habit of thinking of, of writing down more ideas. And I think that's one of the best ways to become better at identifying opportunities. Now, Many of us are pretty impatient. Uh, Maybe we've been wanting to start something for a long time. And, you know, what if you don't want to wait for inspiration to strike or for an idea to come? What if you don't want to spend weeks and months writing down ideas um, so that something great comes your way? We actually want to give you a framework for how to think of business ideas, even if you're not that good naturally at you know, coming up with brilliant ideas. And in particular, one point that I want to make is that if you're a first-time entrepreneur, if you're relatively unproven, it doesn't matter so much what your idea is. What matters most is that you can make that idea a reality, or at least you know people that can help you make that idea a reality, right? Which brings us to our sort of next framework, which we learned from a video that we saw years ago, it's not even online anymore, but it was from a, a, a lecturer at Babson named Bob Casp. And by the way, with this, we will save you at least $5,000 on an entrepreneurship class at Babson University. So <laughs> yes, we, you're welcome. We've, we've heard from founders uh, that listened to this webinar that it was more worth it for them than uh, an entire graduate program on entrepreneurship. So take it with a grain of salt. Hopefully you can get some value from it. But Vadim, do you remember... Uh, sort of the the framework that Bob Casp set up, the two simple ways that he said as a young person or as somebody that's never started a business before, you should think about coming up with ideas for a business or getting into entrepreneurship? Sure. It boils down to two words, who and what. What? What. Um, That's a... sound like Stewie from Family Guy. Stewie. Um, Who or what? Uh, Let's start with the who. What does that mean? Well, you probably already know what that means. Uh, The who is... okay. Say you want to start a business idea um, and you have no idea where to start. Well, you probably already have some asset that you're not even thinking about. And that is who you know, right? Who is in your network? Who are the most types of people that you surround yourself with? I don't even know if that's grammatically correct, but I think you guys know what I mean. In other words, who do you know that you could start talking to right now? Why is this so important? Well, if you think about any product or any business, no company is started in a vacuum. You have to talk to people to understand the viability of a business. And the best place to start and the easiest place to start if you're a first-time founder is your network. Now, you might think to yourself, oh, connections, of course. You know, everybody can succeed if they have connections. First of all, no. Most people have connections and they don't use them. Uh, but second of all, what does the word connections really mean? Well, let's think about it this way. Let's say you're in college and you don't really have a huge network, a huge business network, but maybe you do. Is your dad a lawyer? Is your mom a doctor? Uh, Let's say that your dad's a lawyer. Well, he probably knows at least 50 other lawyers that are close to him, and there you go. You have a network just through your dad, that one connection. You are now connected two degrees away, two degrees of separation away from 50 other people in your network that have a very similar profile. So now you can start by talking to your dad saying, hey dad, 
you know, I, I see that you have all these problems. I want to try to help identify something that I can build a business around. Can you introduce me to three or four or five of your friends at least to start? And start talking to people. In other words, start working towards trying to identify a problem through some kind of network that you can tap into. And uh, a friend of ours who started a company called Datanize actually applied the same exact concept before he even started that company. Uh, He looked through his network. He's actually the guy that took one of these Babson courses. He looked through his network and he noticed he was in Silicon Valley. He noticed that he was connected to a lot of uh, actually salespeople. And so he decided, let me reach out to as many salespeople as I can to see if anyone would let me shadow them to see what problems they run into throughout the day. And one of his friends did agree to let him essentially sit behind him while he worked for about half a day. And one of the things that he noticed happened several times throughout the day is this salesperson would go into uh, different websites for potential of potential clients that he wanted to call on. And he would right click and inspect element. You can do that in most browsers and see what products they use because you can tell by JavaScript code or by um, other, other types of uh, code that might be in that system. Uh, what products they may be using or what products they might have stopped using if he saw that last week they had something. And then all of a sudden, he he would know whether his product was complimentary or not or if they stopped using a product, he would jump in and say, hey, now I can serve you because you stopped using this product. So this guy that we know basically by seeing this problem that the salesperson had, which is manually going in and inspecting elements of his client websites to see what products they use, He essentially automated it. He was an engineer and he built the product himself that would allow you to go to any website and see what products they built their technology with so that as a salesperson, you would have essentially that intel, that intelligence. And that's, that spawned off an entire business for him. Salespeople loved it. He raised millions of dollars. Yeah. He raised millions of dollars around this concept alone. And by the way, you know, this took more than just talking to somebody, Ilya Semin, the founder of Datanize, he took it one step further and he actually sat down and shadowed this salesperson and other salespeople as well. And he didn't just talk to salespeople. He talked to VPs, managers, directors. He had to work to uh, identify his target customer and or uh, customer profile. Um, but, you know, that's the hard work that you have to do as an entrepreneur. So the first step for him was just talking to those people. And if you need a little framework for figuring out, well, how do I even go about doing that? Just start setting up phone calls. Face-to-face, face-to-face meetings are always better, but if you can't do that, phone calls work as well, and just have a conversation with a person, have an interview. Um, They're usually called discovery conversations. The best thing you could do is try to keep it broad and really listen and ask as many questions as possible to try to identify, okay, which statements is the interviewee making that really show that there's pain? And then once you identify that pain, once you hear it in their voice, oh, there's this process that I have to do every single day and it's such a pain in the butt and it costs me a lot of money because it takes four employees to do it. Well, there you go. Maybe there's an opportunity there for an automation or for you to build a tool or some kind of product around it uh, to help them out. Yeah. And, and if there's interest uh, from our listeners, we'll definitely uh, record another podcast about how to run customer discovery conversations. We've done this many times in the past ourselves and then know many, many entrepreneurs that have. But if you, if you notice uh, one thing from this who you know strategy uh, is that Ilya not only knew a lot of salespeople, but he actually could execute on building a product for them. But I will say, if you have the fortunate problem of having a lot of different people in your network, maybe you know a lot of salespeople, maybe your dad's a lawyer, you know a lot of lawyers, maybe you know a lot of engineers, right? And we're here talking more about business-to-business type of products. 
then uh, take the time and think about who you even want to serve, right? Because if you're going to be thinking of a product to build and presumably giving up the next five to 10 years of your life on working on a business, think about who you want your clients to be. Do you want to serve salespeople? Do you want to serve lawyers? And that can help you come up with a, a potential uh, a potential target, at least in the beginning. Yeah, I mean, if you have the luxury of choice, then definitely uh, think about where you want to spend most of your time. So we talked about the who, right? Who's in your network or in a network that's related to you. If you're in college or after college or whatever, always try to build your network. You never know when it's going to come in handy. So go to networking events, go to groups, uh, add people on LinkedIn, um, you know, find people in different industries and disciplines, and, and there you go. Organically, you'll grow something, and then you'll have more people to tap into when you're thinking about the who. So what about the what, Sergey? Uh, what does that mean? Well, the what is actually pretty simple. It's what you know, right? So no matter who you are, you have some sort of expertise, you have some sort of interest where you probably know more than, let's say, 90% of the population. So starting with your first business around what you know is a great way to have a competitive advantage. If you notice, both of these principles, the who you know and the what you know, are really about creating a competitive advantage for yourself what are you better at or what do you have an advantage over 90% of the population? Well, it's either the network that you develop or the expertise that you have. Even if you're not the best in the world, it's better than if you're better than 90% of the people out there, right? So that's really the what you know. Uh, what's your expertise? And then you can start figuring out from your own experiences what are some problems that you can solve in the space that you have expertise around. And by the way, Sergey mentioned idea sex before. I just want to say sex again. That's yeah, it. I have no, no. no. Uh, but think about it this way as well. Um, you know, you might be really good at knitting. I don't know. Um, uh, but you might not be able to think easily of a way to apply that skill or that domain expertise to a business. But there may be a tangential way to apply it. Um, maybe you could partner with homeless centers and shelters and uh, knit socks for homeless people, right? And start a nonprofit around that. Well, there you go. You're not selling directly to consumer on an e-commerce page. There's a completely different application of the skill that you have. So think about how else you could be applying your skill in a tangential way. But the other thing I wanted to mention is uh, sort of that, that word that Sergey used, which is expertise. Uh, or in tech world, a lot of times they call it domain expert. Why is a domain expert so interesting to potential partners and more importantly, investors? Or why can they get traction a lot of times over other people that are not domain experts? Well, it's pretty simple. It de-risks the opportunity for them. You know, a lot of times people uh, come in to pitch an investor uh, or other people that don't really know much about the fundraising uh, world or process. They might think, well, why is an investor putting their money into somebody that's completely unknown or maybe a first-time founder when they could invest in, let's say, Google or another insert big name company here that already has been proven and does something very, very well. Well, first of all, because big companies move slow, right? They can't get things done that quickly. It's just a fact of life. But second of all, if you're a domain expert, if you've spent the 10,000 hours on studying something, even if it's, you know, Pokemon, then again, the investment is going to be de-risked for them because you already know more about that specific topic than literally 99.9% .9 of the population I'll go one step further. If you spend one week learning deeply about something, you already know more than 90% of the population. So think about how much more de-risk the opportunity is going to be if a domain expert comes in that really knows his or her stuff. Some people inadvertently are going to say, 
well, you know what? Okay, I'm already good at this, right? My problem isn't coming up with ideas. I'm an idea man or woman. I, I am the idea guy. I'm the creator. Um, I have a ton of ideas. I think of new ideas every single day, every single week. I have about a, a journal of 50 ideas sitting there. How do I pick a good one, Vadim and Sergey? How do I know what to focus on or at the very least what is going to be good? So I think that the, you're kind of asking, as an individual who has a lot of ideas, that would be the wrong question to ask. How do I know if an idea is good? I think the right question to ask is, how do I know that this business idea or this business is the right one for me? Because a good idea is pretty worthless if it's executed poorly. And sometimes a bad idea, like fidget spinners, <laughs> Uh, can succeed, if only for a short time, but can still be successful. So a good idea is really something that has the highest chance of success. So then put yourself in that frame of mind, you know, what is going to be a good idea for you? Um, And basically, if you have a huge list of ideas to work on, then your job is to prioritize that list. And uh, actually, the founder of meetup.com did just that. You know, he was an idea man. He had a list of 40 or 50 business ideas um, that he wanted to focus on, and he ended up prioritizing them, and every single day he would cross off ones that didn't work for him because he didn't care enough about the problem, he didn't care enough about the type of customer, he didn't uh, think that the idea would scale, whatever it was. And he got it down to two business ideas. One of them, uh, he sold uh, to a South American company after a few years, he just flipped it, and the other one was meetup.com. And actually, I think the way he prioritized why he decided, you know, I should work on Meetup is he realized that getting people together was something that was really important to him. He he conceptualized the business, I think, around 2002, right after 9-11 happened. Uh, and he noticed that people in New York, somehow the, the, the sort of the feel of the community changed in New York and people became more open and it, it had more of a sort of a neighborly type of feel where people were open to getting together. They were open to helping each other um, as a way to bring themselves sort of out of the ashes, so to speak. And so he saw that actually, specifically in New York, people were now open to to feeling like part of a community. And he saw this trend of, everything going online and he wanted to figure out how can I not just bring people online but actually bring them together in person and he realized that's so important to him that that's how he decided that's that's why I want to start meetup.com I don't care if it actually makes a ton of money I just want to start it and and grow it because this is so important to me and he grew it for many many years I think for what was it they just sold it uh, 16 years later or 15 years later right. to WeWork Um, So think about what your meetup is. Think about what it is that you actually care about. And when you're prioritizing, come up with a handful of categories, right? So for example, what kind of business do you want to run? Do you want it to be a venture-funded business that has huge scale potential? Or do you want a lifestyle business where you you set your own hours and have weekends off? Do you want a product business, again, that uh, can be uniform at scale? Or service business where it's a custom solution um, every time you come up with something. Uh, another thing to think about is what kind of customer do you want to serve, right? Do you want it to be a transactional business? Do you want to serve other businesses? Do you want people to buy directly um, and so, or sell directly to consumers on a website? Um, what kind of legacy do you want to have? What do you want to be known for? Or do you not care about that at all? 
And, uh, you know, another question that comes up, well, how do I know whether I want to start a product or a services business? Well, unfortunately, there is no shortcut there. If you've never, let's say, built a product business, you're not going to know whether it's for you or not. Uh, You kind of have to try building a product, working with engineers, trying to acquire users to see if that's something that sort of goes well with your natural personality. And for those of you that are sitting there and have been mulling over an idea for the last year or two or probably some of you decade and you're wondering, is this a good idea or a good enough idea to work on? Uh, The answer is this. Nobody knows and no one will know until you get out there and test it for yourself. So start talking to people. Start talking to people, start testing, uh, be consistent and actually get work done on your idea and that's how you'll know whether it's the right idea or not. And as we mentioned earlier, it will probably look very different even six months from when you initially started thinking about it to actually what it ends up becoming once you start making progress to making it a reality. So in the next episode, we'll start diving into a little bit more detail about, okay, I have an idea. Now what? What do I do? How do I start proving it? Until next time, it's the mentors. See ya. (laughs) 